Right, here we go again. Podcast time, episode number five. Um, yeah. Um, I was going to do this yesterday, but I was in a bit of a, I don't know, funny mood about this whole thing in Ukraine, in the Ukraine. Um, um, feeling pretty bad about the whole thing and that. And uh, I just hope it all comes to a... Uh, some kind of a reasonable end uh, before too many lives, innocent lives are lost. Um, and uh, and we get rid of people like Putin and you know, your man in Brazil and thank God Trump's gone. And, um, you know, I, I just don't get the fact that we keep, you know, voting for leaders like this or allowing people like this to uh, take control of our countries it's just um, it's just beyond belief really um, you know here we are almost eight billion people and what are they three four hundred so-called leaders on this planet and, and look what they're doing look look what we're letting them do um, it's time we we, we we put a stop to this um and as far as i'm concerned uh that small amount of people shouldn't be allowed to call the shots over the rest of us anyway that's said and done uh it, i have no real power over it anyway so i you know back to back to normal life as normal as it can be so Anyway, last time I said I was going to do, uh, I was going to um, tell you a little bit more about my brother Connor, uh, but in actual fact, I think I'll uh, I'll I'll do Cormac first. Um, yeah, Cormac's a great bloke. Um, came up hard, you know. When he was fifteen, he he um, left home to he wanted to be a jockey, and riding racehorses. And um, God knows what it, how he ended up being interested in horses in the first place, because um, nobody else in the family is. And uh, he used to, when he was a, a you know a, a young lad, he'd go off to these stables where uh, he didn't have a, a pony or a horse, but um, if he cleaned out the the stalls of those that did, um, he was then allowed, uh, you know, um, to to ride on a pony uh, or a horse uh, for half an hour, and uh, so that's you know that's what old Com did. He you know and uh, as I said at fifteen he he went off then to a place called Newmarket in England. Um, to learn to be a jockey as a as an apprentice jockey and uh, terrible place hard is I mean you wouldn't believe the place I mean it's just you know a lot of these well a lot of these lads they go there and um, they end up uh, realizing uh, many times that they're not going to make it as a jockey so then they just become stable lads and uh, very hard life. Um, and very tough individuals they uh, you know i've been down there for a few pints with him and 
you know, they just, they'll bet on anything. You know, uh, if it's raining outside and, you know, the, two bit, two drops of water coming down a pane, a pane of glass, they'll bet on which, which drop gets to the bottom first. And, um, I was in the, we were in this pub one time and I went out to the, to the, to the, to the gentleman's toilets and, uh, this fight kicked off between these two little jockey guys. And I mean, it has to be said that, you know, they, you know, it, they're sort of, I don't know, I wouldn't call them freaks. That's a horrible word to use on it for anybody, but they're abnormally small for their age. I mean, you'll, you know, you'll get guys of 18, 19, 20, and they look, you know, they're about the same body mass as a nine year old. I'm not joking you, tiny. An awful lot of uh, eating disorders in that trade as well, but anyway, uh, this fight kicked off, and uh, there's a bunch of lads in there. Um, I'm not worried because I'm <laughs> I'm towering above them all anyway. Um, but anyway, they're beating the shit out of each other. These two little fellas. Um, and then one of them wants to stop, but then the others, they wouldn't let them stop because uh, they'd all bet on it. So they had to, you know, <laughs> if a fight kicks off over there, that's it. You know, you've got you've to keep on fighting because the other lot have more likely got bets on who's going to win. So that's the kind of place it was. And uh, old Con, he went through some terrible things as well. Uh, the one time they, they got into his room at night and they got him in a Land Rover and took him out into the middle of the race course and stripped him naked and tied him to a tree and drove off. Oh, no. First of all, they tied him to the tree. Then they got in this Land Rover, and then they started driving towards the tree and just breaking just before they drove into him and stuff. Terrible bloody stuff. Um, but it certainly hardened him up. Anyway, I mean, he was hard enough as it was. But anyway... Um, He wants to be a jockey, old Com, and um, he he then realised too. I mean, we're not the you know the biggest men in the on the planet, um, but but still, you know, he you know he had he was gonna he knew he was gonna be too big to be to to be a jockey. So he changed his mind and decided to become a farrier instead. A farrier. This is a this is the guy that makes the shoes for the horses and puts the shoes on, and so he. He did that instead, and uh, also in Newmarket. And this, you know, I mean, the, some of these horses were absolutely crazy. I mean, they've been made crazy. Um, and, you know, going into them and trying to put shoes on them was quite often a, a very hard job. Um, but anyway, old, uh, he, you know, he, he did that. He did his four-year apprenticeship um doing that very tough and and when he when he finished he started sort of up a little bit for himself uh, i used to go off with him on a saturday mornings um carry the anvil for him and that and i've seen him kicked they lean on you these great big horses and that uh bitten you name it i've seen old com uh get some right <laughs> get some right bloody uh beatings from horses in the end actually in australia one of them um 
I think he bit the end of his he bit the end of his finger off, and uh, it ended up that um, he knew this guy who was a lawyer, and the lawyer said, "Listen, there's there's money in this for us if you know if you're interested." He said, "You know," um, and so they they sued the, the 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 guy that Cormac was working for, and the crack was this. Um, the guy, you know, the, the agreement they had was that if Cormac shooed a horse, then someone, you know, someone should be holding the head. But of course, this guy just said, oh, you know, you can just tie it up or whatever. And uh, it was while he was trying to tie this, this horse's head so that he couldn't get around and bite him in the back, um, that it bit his finger off, or the top of his finger, not the whole thing. Anyway, yeah, uh, so... He, uh, you know, he sued the guy. So you know, the insurance company, they they sort of came along. They said, oh, you know, we'll give you a thousand dollars Australian, um, hoping that he'd say, yeah, fine. And Com said, no way, you know, um, that's not going to happen. And it went backwards and forwards for a couple of years. And the lawyer explained to us that uh, what these insurance companies do is that they they already know. They've got like an army of lawyers. They already know if they're going to win or lose a case. They already know how much it's probably going to cost them. So, you know, that money's invested or whatever. Um, while they tie the whole thing up in litigation um, uh, for a couple of three years. So they've already made that money anyway and then some <laughs> um, before they have to pay out. And uh, of course, they then also hope that you know you'll you'll be willing to or dumb enough to you know to accept less. So, after a couple of three years, we you know we get down. I was actually down there when this happened. Uh, we get down to the court in Melbourne, and we go in. It's a bloody like a chaos in there. You know, people shouting, screaming, and you know, bailiffs holding on to people. And I've never seen anything like it. And. Uh, I said to the guy, says it always like this? He said, yeah, yeah, it's always like this. So we go in anyway and into the court and the case is just about to begin and then their lawyers came over and said, right, we'll give you, I think they said it was, they'd give him $50,000 and we accepted. And uh, he went out and bought himself an MGB GT and uh, we drove that back to, to um, Queensland. Bloody great little car. Um, bit hard in the suspension, but anyway, uh, so yeah, so when he was in Munich, uh, he also worked uh, at a sort of racing stable. It was, um, you know, I, I don't know what they call trotting, I think they call it. It's where the where the horse trots, and there's a guy sitting on a sort of little little cart behind it, and. Um, he worked out in a, in a place where they had these horses and, and, and he, you know, I remember him saying to me, they, um, they make the shoes in a, in, a, in a particular way that forces the horse to, to trot in that manner that they do. And he said oftentimes uh, it will um, ruin the horse's legs with time. Um, so it's, you know shouldn't be allowed, but uh, I don't know if it's like that today or not. But it was then. Um, but he worked. He worked out in this place, and um, 
I remember I, had a, uh, I went out to see Monica. She lived out that way. I went out to see old Monica uh, one time. Um, the girl that helped me get my apartment. And um, I loved her mum. Always used to feed me up. And uh, went out just to say hi and whatnot. And um, so anyway, I'm, I went out there to see Monica. And I don't know, about four in the, in the afternoon, I'm, I'm stood there waiting for the... For the train now, these trains they they go far out of Munich, but once they get in towards Munich, then they go underground. Um, so I stood there waiting for the train, and they're nearly always packed. These trains always packed full of people, especially four o'clock in the afternoon. <coughs> Excuse me. So I'm stood on the on a platform waiting, and uh, train comes in, and they, you know it's whizzing by, and you know. I see the first compartment full of people, second compartment full of people, third compartment full of people, fourth compartment full of people, fifth compartment completely empty, sixth compartment full of people, boom, boom, boom. And I thought, oh, wow, there's an empty compartment. So I ran up and opened the doors and immediately was hit by <laughs> the smell of, yeah, basically our Cormac. And I said, the crack is this, is when they, you know, when they're shooing, um... If they're making the shoe from scratch, uh, hot shoeing, I think they call it, they, you know, they do all the beating and all the rest of it. It's quite, actually quite fascinating to watch. Um, but then they, they, you know, they, they, they try the, the shoe on the horse's hoof, but of course, the, the, you know, the iron's hot. So all this smoke comes up. And, it, you know, if you're doing that all day, you, you, know, you stink of... <laughs> the smoke that comes off of these horses hoofs uh, and it's it's it stinks and it's really bad it's sort of like if you can imagine walking around in the same pair of big old mountain mountaineering boots with some big socks on for a couple of three years and then taking the boots off uh, it's that kind of smell it's horrible anyway i open the door and i get hit this i put my head in there's old calm Sitting down there, and he said, "All right, MP." <laughs> um, so I went. I mean, I was kind of used to it, so it didn't really um, bother me as much as it would some poor other person. And um, so I went in, and, and uh, off we go into Munich. Then, and uh, we we had got a ride. <laughs> we got a ride all the way home. Um, in an empty compartment because no one a few people sort of came in and sort of sniffed a bit and then just left again um we were gonna ride all the way in and um when he got you know when he got home to where he lived they they quite often make him uh take all his kid off <laughs> our mum used to when he'd come home um you know if once he started doing that and if he if, if he come home he got a bucket of water and some soap and she'd say right you, you know you're not coming in the house like that you've got to Wash yourself outside before you can come in. But anyway, um, um, the next thing you know, this this one time, he comes along uh, up to me and Manfred, and he says, uh, "Oh, I got you've got these steaks at work." And to be honest with you, I think they might have been horse steaks. Um, and did I, you know, did we want one? And I said, "Well, I'll have one." And Manfred didn't. I did. So. 
we had these steaks and the following bloody day I had to go and early morning I had to go to a place called Kiefengarten to help so I promised somebody I knew I'd help them with uh, with the garden and um, it was on a garage roof um, so anyway you know I get up the f I had this steak for tea and um, I get up the following morning I had sort of a funny sort of hungry feeling in my stomach and I thought oh, maybe it's because I'm hungry you know but anyway so I I have a quick cup of tea and um, off I go. So I'm, I walk down then to the, to the underground train station at Hackerbrook, take the train into Carlsplatz. Or was it? No, you had to, that was it. I think you had to change at Carlsplatz. Or did you? Well, anyway, I ended up in Marineplatz, which is a, a, a station further down. And... Um, walked around and then you had to get on another train underground train and that went then all the way out to Kiefengarten which is where they had the Olympics the Olympic villages out there um lovely place um the BMW museums out there as well um so it, but it's about 12 stations so off the train goes um and the last couple of stations I start feeling really f strange and you know basically I felt like I thought I was going to faint um you know the wars were rushing by and I'm sweating and everything and uh, I'm thinking what the you know and we we finally get to Kiefengarten I then go up uh into the fresh air and felt okay again uh but still with this hungry feeling so I, I walked down towards where me, me, these friends of mine lived and on the way I went into a little shop and it was like a, it was a good warm morning and I bought uh, I know I bought a couple of bread rolls but I also bought a litre of ice cold milk now let me tell you if you've got a problem with your stomach, the last thing you want to do is drink milk. It just makes it a lot worse, which I found out. Anyway, I got round to my friend's place there and we started working. The next thing you know, I'm just throwing up all over the place. So he says to me, listen, um, this isn't going to work out. He said, you better go home. And I said to him, oh, geez, you know, can you not drive me home? He said, I, he said, I can't. He said, I've got to go off and do something he said but listen you know just take a taxi of course he coming from where i did i wasn't sort of really used to taxis and whatnot and i was a bit sort of hesitant to be bothering with them um so I, off i went anyway and i thought i you know bugger it, i'll take a chance on the underground train so i get back down to the tube station there and uh get down to where the trains are and I ain't feeling good at all um, and I thought well I, I was more or less sure that I was going to throw up on the train and um, so I I got on I got on the train and um, 
off it went and the wars are whizzing by and whatnot and the next thing you know i just start throwing up and people are screaming in there uh, and the funny thing is it was packed full of people but if somebody starts throwing up in a packed space they'll always manage to make a ring around them and i talk about embarrassed i felt awful and so i'm throwing up and i'm, I'm surprised my bloody head wasn't spinning it was that bad it was just pouring out of me and then the next thing you know some other people started throwing up <laughs> I'm so, I mean, I can't, for the life of me, I can't understand why somebody didn't pull the emergency, um, I'm glad they didn't, the emergency cord to stop the bloody thing. I mean, everyone was, you know, before you knew what was happening, there was about 10, 15 people throwing up all over the bloody place. And by this time, by the time we'd sort of gone six, seven stations, I was sort of pretty blasé about it, you know. Um, um, but we finally get to Marine Platts. And I stumble off uh, this train and um, I'm going around to the connecting train to get on home. And um, on the way around, I can feel that I'm going to throw up again. I thought, I just, no, I'm just not going to, I'm just going through the indignity of, of of this one more time so i thought where can i throw up and i remembered uh, if you went around to this little alcove there was a lift that brought you up to the up to the surface so i thought i don't know why i thought well, i'll go around there at least i'll have a bit of privacy so i go rushing around there and uh for some unknown reason i decided i was going to actually throw up in the lift i don't know why but i i, I did and the, the doors were just about to shut and i put my foot in the doors stopped and my foot opened up. I look in, there's these two middle-aged women stood there probably talking about the price of potatoes or whatever. I stick my head in, throw up, um, like I'm in The Exorcist. <laughs> Get my head back out again, the door shut, boom. And I mean, they just had this shock, surprise look on their faces, these two poor women. And off the, off it went, the lift. So uh, get on the next train. I managed to make it home without throwing up on that train. But on the way walking home, I threw up a few more times. And as it turned out, um, food poisoning. I, at the end, you know, in reality, I should have probably ended up in uh, in a hospital. It was really, really bad. Um, but Cormac, nothing. He was grand. You know, he, I, you know, he come around. I don't know. I think it was the following day. All right then, Pete. And I said, "What do you mean, all right?" <laughs> You almost killed me. He said, what? And I said, I've been, you know, throwing up all day and night and, you know, been through a, the indignity of throwing up multiple times on the train and whatnot. And he, I said to him, how about you? He said, I'm fine. Um, so, you know, he had no ill effects at all. Um, um, and then there was the time, uh, I mentioned before that I used to go to Israel, you know, it was basically, uh, it started up with Cormac, he, you know, he, he went down there first and, you know, I don't know, he said to me, oh, it's great down there, you know, you know you come on down anyway. So I thought, bugger it, I'll, uh, I'll go down and, um, I'll go down and, 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 you know, hang out there, there for a while, he was like, it was lovely. But anyway, um. When he got down there, they found out that he um, 
you know, that he knew all about horses and that, which he did. And, um, um, so they had these, yeah, horses uh, on the kibbutz and, and they had this one Arab stallion called Katusha, which is, uh, that's what they call the rockets that they, that, that, that Hamas sent in over from, uh, the Lebanon. Um, lovely horse, um, you know, I'm not nuts about horses, I've got to admit, um, but I always felt grand with him, uh, you could go into the stable with him, and, uh, you know, I'd muck out a bit and stuff like that for him, help him out, and, um, but once you've got, once you've got him outside, uh, you know, he, you know, you, you had to be a, you know, a real horseman and or woman, to control his horse because he he wanted to go. I remember one time we went off to this place uh, where there was this long, you know, it must have been a couple of mile long prepared ride, as they call them in English, <coughs> where the ground was, you know, prepared so that, you know, you could you could gallop a horse along it. Anyway, we, old Commie, he, he, you know, he wanted to, to check out, see, uh, the way they train a racehorse is that, you know, they don't actually gallop them very often. Uh, a lot of it is walking, trotting, definitely exercising every day, uh, but they gallop them very rarely. Um, and um, they, you know, we went off to this place anyway, and Con wanted to, to gallop or Katusha there. And... Uh, we were in a jeep next to him and you know flying along and i'm looking over at old com there on this beautiful arab stallion and you could see all the the muscles and the whole you know power of this animal going along i don't know what the speed was it was bloody fast that's for sure 40 50 kilometers an hour it was really going and old com up on the top of it and and then suddenly I I got it you know suddenly I thought yeah okay <laughs> I understand um, now to be on top of an animal like that and and going at that speed um, must be amazing you know I actually have tried it once myself but that was because the bloody thing ran off with me um, um, I did get it under control in the end but you know, the first. Yeah, the first few seconds I was pretty bloody scared, but um, but yeah. So you know we're down on this kibbutz, and you know I mean talk about having an in with all the ladies. I mean you know he you know of course he'd have he'd be having the little kids down uh, uh, in the afternoons training them how to to ride and all this bloody stuff, and you know all the women were crazy about him, and I used to get really really pissed off because I used to think well you know you know that's really unfair you know what I mean what about you know I had to sort of go in blind you know if I was trying to chat up a girl they'd sort of say well who are you and I said I'm Pierce and they say well you know where's Cormac <laughs> um but yeah he the one time we went down to this big field where he used to he used to also exercise Katusha and all these girls they'd always be I think she was a Norwegian girl, this one. They'd always be begging him to let them ride a horse and blah, blah, blah. And he'd normally say no. 
um, especially if they hadn't ridden before. So this one particular girl, she said she had, and um, so we, you know, we go down. I'm, I'm going down. I'm, I'm chewing a bit of grass. Nothing. I love chewing a bit of grass. Um, so we go down, and she, you know, he's leading her down there on the back of this horse, and she looks sort of fairly competent. And uh, we get down to the ride, and Tom says, "Well, then off you go." You know, so he lets her go, and I, I didn't take long. Uh, 20, 30 metres, and let's see, you know, the, the horse bolts and she's all over the place on the back of this horse. And this, this is dangerous. I mean, if you if you come off and your foot gets stuck in, this, in the stirrup, you, you know, you can, you'll be dragged to death, you know. Uh, so it's dangerous stuff. And if she's all there, she's screaming, she's all over the back. And, uh, oh, Commie's looking at me, and I'm just sort of chewing away at me grass, thinking, none of my business, <laughs> it's nothing to do with me. So, um... She suddenly then she gets it under control, and it sort of you know slows down a little bit, and she looks like she's she's got it under control. So you know, fair enough. You know, we're pretty happy, and um, she then gets it down the bottom down the bottom curve, comes around the curve there, and then it lets out again. And um, he told me later on that you know it probably. It was a you know a warm afternoon. It was a fairly old horse, and it probably just wanted to go back to the stable, um, and um, you know he said to me the problem is is that they're dumb and it's not. They'll just take the the you know, the, the, the straightaway route, and if that's you know through a gate or a fence or whatever, they're off. They'll go. So off off it goes again, and she's all over the place screaming and shouting, got no control, legs, arms all over the joint. Tom's looking at me. I'm just chewing my, my blade of grass, and uh, it comes. This horse is coming on full gallop, and um, next thing you know, it's one of the bravest things I've ever seen. Next thing you know, old Cormac he bloody well runs over and rugby tackles a, a, a horse in full gallop. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Um, straight into its front legs, and. Um, that kind of stops the horse up a little bit and uh, he gets trampled a bit by the bloody thing and uh, but he gets up and grabs hold of the bridle on that and stops it. Your woman jumps off the back and runs off hysterically. <laughs> and um, we go up up to the stable with the thing and um, he's limping away, old car, and uh, put it back in the stable and whatnot wipe it down or whatever you had to do and we get up to we get up to our room that we shared and he gets his shirt off there and he's got these two perfect <laughs> perfect hoof prints on his back i don't see anything like it in my life there but tough guy uh listen guys that was enough about my brother cormac um i hope you're all well where you are and i'll see you again soon bye now